You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The following podcast is a production of the Factual Data Creations Facility. Welcome to the OFNT Podcast, episode 186, which I'm calling Old Virginia. And don't worry, it'll all make sense when we arrive at the story time section. So how you doing today? Hope you're doing good. Hey, what do you say we get this thing going? Corrections. I pre-ordered our iPhone 15 Pro Maxes on the morning of September 16th, which was the first day they were available for pre-order. Not September 22nd, which of course was the release date for the phone. Tech news. Well, it was Google's turn to have an event last week, and hold it, they did. The Big G introduced the Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro smartphones, the Pixel Watch 2, and updated Pixel Buds Pro. No updates for last year's Pixel tablet, nor any new Chromebook based on the company's own Tensor chip, which would have been nice. It wasn't a large product rollout like other big tech companies, but perhaps it's better for Google to just concentrate on a small number of products, one at a time. First up was the Pixel 8, which comes in at $799, but manages to pack in most of the features of its bigger and more expensive sibling, the Pixel 8 Pro. The regular Pixel 8 features a 6.2-inch OLED display with a variable refresh rate of 60 to 120 Hz. You know, shame on Apple who only manages to give the consumer a 60 Hz display on their lower price models. The battery is a smidge larger than last year's Pixel 7, and Google states that the 4,575 mAh battery will last you all day. No! The 30-watt fast charging will charge up that battery up to 50% in 30 minutes, which seems pretty impressive. The main camera rocks 50 megapixels with up to 8 times optical zoom, and the phone has a companion 12-megapixel ultra-wide camera. The selfie camera gets 10.5 megapixels. Being that it's a Pixel phone, the software that powers the cameras allow you to use the photo unblur, 
Face Swap, and Magic Eraser. The base model is equipped with 128 gigs of memory, and for $100 more, that can be upgraded to 256 gigs. The Pixel 8 is powered by Google's Tensor G3 processor and has 8 gigs of RAM, which unfortunately, the Android operating system will make use of every byte. How dare you! The big surprise, at least for me, was that Google promises 7, that's right, 7 years of software updates. The giant fruit company usually gives their phones 5 years of operating system updates. However, I suspect those last years of updates for the Pixel 8 will be little more than glorified security updates, but who knows? I could be wrong, and it wouldn't be the first time, nor the last time. <laughs> the flagship Pixel Pro 8 was up next, and besides all the features of the base model, the Pro adds a larger 6.8-inch OLED screen with a refresh rate of 1 to 120 hertz and 2400 nits of peak brightness, wow. which is real bright. It has a larger 5.050 milliamp battery, up to one terabyte of storage, and a temperature sensor mounted within the camera cluster. And speaking of cameras, the Pixel 8 Pro adds a 48 megapixel telephoto lens and upgrades the 12 megapixel wide lens of the standard model to a 48 megapixel ultra wide lens. The front camera features autofocus, which should upgrade your selfie game, unless, like me, you have a face made for radio. <laughs> The Pixel 8 Pro starts at $999. It was the Pixel Watch 2's introduction time next, and to be frank, not much hardware changes were apparent. Software-wise, you can now run Google's suite of apps like Gmail and Maps directly on your watch. You can get a full charge on the watch within 75 minutes, you know, which kind of seemed long to me. Google also added the Apple-esque features such as auto-detect for workouts and added workout types. The Pixel Watch 2 will cost you $349 for Wi-Fi only and $399 for Wi-Fi plus LTE cellular connectivity. Quite reasonable prices in my opinion anyway. Last and unfortunately least as far as upgrades go was the Pixel Buds Pro. The hardware hasn't changed but features such as conversational awareness, improved sound quality, and conversation detection, which will automatically pause music and turn on transparency mode, were added. These earbuds will set you back $199. All in all, it was an iterative upgrade cycle for Google, which allowed the company to focus on software features, and it appears they did this well. Google has built itself a nice little ecosystem here, and though it isn't as extensive or fancy as Samsung's, it is completely functional. All that's missing is a high-end Chromebook, which would complete the Pixel ecosystem, in my opinion. For me, the big thing announced at this event was the seven years of guaranteed updates, which exceeds even Apple's usual five years of updates. But the recent announcement of longer updates for Chromebooks, the Google consumer now has the confidence that Pixel items they buy will not become obsolete in just two or three years. Now let's see if Samsung and other Android hardware manufacturers do the same. You know, time will tell. If you've been paying attention to tech news, then you've heard about the new iPhone lineup's problem with becoming uncomfortably hot. Hot to the point that users claim they cannot hold the phone in their hands. An article from the Associated Press heralds the release of the iOS 17.0.3 update, which Apple claims will resolve this heating issue. Apple blames apps such as Uber and Instagram as being the cause of the overheating issue, and that the problem isn't related to the new processor, or the titanium casing that the iPhone 15 Pro line is now housed in. From Engadget, 
The first two Amazon Cooper satellites are heading to space on October 6th, reads the headline, and I hear that they did so. These satellites are the first of 3,200 to be launched that will make up the constellation that is Amazon's answer to SpaceX's Starlink service and will eventually provide Internet connectivity to areas of the globe which traditional providers just can't reach. These first two satellites will provide Amazon with a learning opportunity for future deployments before production satellites start being launched early next year. Hey, competition is good as long as it improves service and brings prices down. Perhaps Prime members will get a deal on this service. No. Zoom hopes its newest features will give it an edge over Microsoft Teams, is the headline from Quartz.com. And what are these new features, you may ask? Well, a Google Docs-like word processor with collaborative editing features and Zoom's virtual agent, which is an artificial intelligence conversation bot that will help deliver a personalized experience to users. Yes. Which the company hopes will transform the ways businesses assist their customers and employees. Zoom had previously introduced a suite of generative AI to premium subscribers at no additional cost. Zoom's revenue topped $4.1 billion in 2022, thanks mostly to the COVID-19 pandemic. But the curve has flattened since the return to offices began. Zoom recorded a 1.8% revenue growth in the first quarter of this year, compared to Microsoft Teams' 22% rise in revenue, which brought in $6.6 billion over the same period, while cementing its dominance in the worldwide communication and collaborative software market. So what's a company to do if they can't compete fair and square? Well, file a complaint with regulators in the U.S., U.K., Germany, and the European Union, claiming that Microsoft's operating system gives preference to the Teams product through design and price bundling, which in Zoom's opinion breaches antitrust laws. Huh. I don't remember Microsoft, Google, and other companies complaining when Zoom absolutely dominated the market after exploding in popularity during the pandemic years. China. Instead, those companies slowly improved their products until becoming better and, more importantly, more secure than Zoom. Zoom was coded in mainland China and, when first launched, maintained its service within that communist country and was subject to the country's invasive laws. When the Zoom software code was examined by security experts, a number of backdoors and security holes were discovered. These security issues were supposedly resolved and the servers for U.S. and other countries' data was moved to within those countries, but Zoom still maintained servers and a large workforce in China. Microsoft Teams can be run on any operating system with native apps for Windows, Mac OS, iOS, and Android. A browser version is available for users of Linux. There goes the operating system lock-in argument, if you ask me. Microsoft is able to price bundle because the company actually has apps and services to bundle. Microsoft isn't a one-trick pony like Zoom is. While home users of Zoom are satisfied with the product, it's business users who have left Zoom behind for mostly security reasons. The only reason I keep my subscription around for Microsoft 365 is for access to Teams. Teams is just a better and more secure video conferencing app and messaging program. Check I'm using... I had some good news delivered to me Thursday morning. My iPhone 15 Pro Max has finally shipped and was given an estimated delivery date of Monday, October 9th. Well, that date then slipped to Friday, October 13th, which I hope isn't a bad omen. (laughs) But now it's back to the 9th. My wife's phone delivery date is still holding for late November, which isn't very pleasant for her. 
Who knew that white would be the most popular color for that model this year? Update. The delivery date has again been pushed back to the 13th. I guess it's safe to say that I have no idea when I'm getting my iPhone 15 Pro Max. Hopefully sometime next week. I've received the box to send my iPhone 13 back to Apple for trade-in, though. You know, usually you get the product first and then the trade-in box. One of the, quote, exciting announcements for Apple TV set-top box owners this year was the ability to use a virtual private network, better known as a VPN, with your box. This could allow you to defeat the geofencing of shows and apps, though the apps I've previously tried using a VPN on had countermeasures to defeat it. My lovely wife uses a VPN on her iPad in order to watch programming from the old home country, and it works quite well. She would like to be able to watch these shows on the big screen, which in this case is our 65-inch screened LG television. So, I must admit, we were excited about VPN apps coming to the Apple TV. I've been using PIA, which stands for Private Internet Access VPN, for years now, taking advantage of a low, locked-in yearly subscription price. I use PIA on all of my iOS devices, my three Mac computers, iPad Pro, and iPhone. It works fine for me, especially on those occasions where I'm using public Wi-Fi. So last week, I fired up the App Store on my trusty Apple TV 4K set-top box. Shout out to Stephen and Jessica, who gifted me that for, I think, last Christmas or the one before, expecting to download and install PIA's version of its VPN app for the Apple TV. While I saw apps from most of the popular VPNs and a sprinkling of not-so-popular ones, I didn't see any from the PIA company, being that it's still early days as far as VPNs being allowed on the Apple TV platform. I figured I'd shoot PIA an email asking when I can expect the company's tvOS version to hit the App Store. The response I got was disappointing. PIA had no tvOS version in development and seemed unaware that Apple was allowing such a thing. Well, at least the person who answered my inquiry seemed to have no idea. I can't replicate the deal I have gotten using PIA with other reputable VPN companies, so for now, my wife is constrained to watching her Pinoy dramas on her iPad. Entertainment news, and there's not much of it this week. My son and I watched Part 3 of The Continental on the Peacock streaming service last evening. Yes. Previously, I told you that while entertaining, the show didn't even approach the action that the movie series it's based on, the John Wick franchise, had. Well, I'm happy to report that this, the final episode of this three-part miniseries, made up for it most of the episode being dedicated to action sequences. You get the picture. Though it had a few plot holes, we both enjoyed the series and hope more seasons are incoming. As my son said, the show was much better than most of the dribble that's putting put out on TV these days. Podcast news. Well, the shakeout continues in regards to Podcasting Incorporated, as Pushkin Industries, founded by former journalists from Slate back in 2018, has announced another round of job cuts, along with National Public Radio's WNYC. Pushkin has laid off 17 employees, which counts for 30% of the company's total workforce, while WNYC has made 40 people redundant, accounting for 12% of its workforce. I believe this is the second or third round of cuts for both. As COVID restrictions have eased and people return to a, well, somewhat normal lifestyle, podcast audience numbers have tanked, and with it, the all-important, well, at least for these two entities, advertising dollars. 
Pushkin Industries, which is an independent studio, is sort of a uh, woke version of the old podcast studio, which of course was absorbed into Spotify. Pushkin Industries wasn't snapped up by some larger corporation for those big bucks back in what I hear is referred to as the day when independent podcast production studios were being bought up for ridiculous prices. Now, I don't know if Pushkin had ever been offered to sell out for the big money or not. Though I don't care for the shows that the studio produces, it's still sad that one of the few independent podcast studios left is suffering during these times. In regards to WNYC, which is part of the so-called National Public Radio Network, which I'll remind you is funded by grant sponsorship, taxpayer money, and advertising, I have no such sympathy. Like Gimlet, which I referenced previously with their bloated show cost up to $200,000 per episode. Wow! WNYC had some 20 people working on many of their podcasts, which tended to be very niche in scope. Now pair that with $5,000 Neumann mics feeding into multi-thousands of dollars worth of audio interfaces, and you can see why they and other big city NPR stations are in serious trouble. Heck, top commercial radio stations in major city markets barely have 20 employees total, much less per show they produce. These radio stations use $400 Shure SM7Bs or $500 ElectroVoice RE20s feeding into decade-old interfaces that probably cost less than the Neumann mics used by NPR stations such as WNYC. I recall reading an interview some years back with the head of NPR who justified the expense of using Neumann mics by saying that the mics were responsible for NPR's, quote, signature sound, unquote. Back then, I described that signature sound as that of a snake due to them not bothering to employ what's known as a de-esser. Sure, I'm all for giving underheard voices a platform and all that, but why do they have to come into the studio? Just lend them $100 Focusrite solo interfaces along with a $100 Rode pod mic with all the necessary cabling and teach them how to use the free digital audio workstation Audacity and then have them send the raw audio file in for editing, processing, and distribution. I guess NPR doesn't or didn't have to worry about funding like private firms such as Pushkin, which gave them no incentive to spend money more frugally. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In some more bad news concerning Podcasting Incorporated, the Podcast Business Journal reports that the New York Times owned the Athletic Podcast Network, which caters to sports fans, obviously, is quietly cutting way back on produced podcasts, with local single sports teams podcasts being the hardest hit. The Athletic built its business model on in-depth coverage of individual teams, and when it was an independent podcast network, was very, very successful. Since being purchased by the Times and management changes, of course, the Athletic has faltered. Upon purchasing the Athletic, the Times disbanded its internal sports department, depending on the Athletic Network for sports reporting. However, the Times retained 100 sports beat reporters and transferred them to the Athletic. This probably has caused salary bloat, making these local shows very unprofitable. The Athletic is, of course, blaming decreasing advertising revenue for their problems. Well, the only localized sports show I used to listen to was called Yankees Pinstripes, which started life as Yankees Universe. It was a podcast ran by two local guys who loved the New York Yankees, and it showed on their show. Yankees Pinstripes was bought by Blue Wire, and the show changed, and listeners were bombarded with ads. I stopped listening to that podcast. The podcast is now known as Bronx Pinstripes, or BP, and went completely corporate, thus losing its charm, in my opinion. Wrapping up the podcast news section, PodTrack is reporting that podcast listener numbers fell 10% during September, which will probably scare off even more advertisers who'll be taking their money with them. This can be looked at as a good thing, in my opinion. Most of the celebrity shows are now gone, with only the truly good ones surviving. The highly moneyed podcasts are slowly faltering, with more of them ending every month as their corporate masters look to save money. I think we can all agree that the great podcasting boom is over, and that the cream has already risen to the top. Eventually, I'd like to see podcasting return to what it was when I first started some four years ago. Back then, most podcasters were considered hobbyists attempting to serve either a niche or just podcasting for the love of it, with both camps striving to improve both content and quality. You had a sprinkling of news media shows and some independent production houses churning out great shows about a multitude of topics hosted by professional voiceover artists. The United Kingdom seems to be going through this phase presently with independent networks like the Rusty Quill Network and independent shows like Haunted, the audio drama from Impala Films. I look forward to when podcasting returns to its roots with plenty of room for everyone and not being squeezed out by corporate legacy media. There are already podcasters out there flying under the radar that are slowly building out strong, independent networks. What will organizations such as the Podcast Academy's place be within the new podcast world? Well, hopefully they'll just fade away. Well, there's no rant or real story this week. 
despite me promising otherwise. My wife, son, and I decided to take a trip to Mount Vernon, Virginia, to see the home of George Washington, first president of the United States. I broke out the old Zoom HN1 recorder, whose audio will serve as a backdrop as I describe our experience there. It's a little over a five-hour drive to Mount Vernon from my home, which is located in the suburbs of New York City. We arrived the afternoon before our scheduled visit to Washington's mansion and rested. Early the next morning, we made our way to the park and were surprised at how well it was maintained and organized. Our scheduled tour of the mansion didn't start until noon, so we had a good three hours to roam around the grounds. What surprised us was how General Washington was quite the businessman with a 280-acre farm which grew everything from cotton to hemp along with decorative flowers. He kept sheep, pigs, and cattle, a fishery, and even had a whiskey distillery. It became apparent during our visit that his farm was his main passion, and he was really a reluctant president, having to be talked into a second term by none other than Thomas Jefferson. We visited both the new and old burial crypt that he, along with 24 other members of his family, now unfortunately occupy. The original was located close to the shoreline that borders his property, and was quite the climb to reach. According to Mr. Washington's last will and testament, a new crypt was built closer to the mansion. His and his wife's caskets are visible while the rest of the family's remains are stored below ground. The mansion itself is nothing special by today's standards, but for its time it was considered spectacular. Just the servants' quarters building, which is quite small, is considered larger than most houses in Virginia at the time. The tour of the mansion was quick, with views of the main room for entertaining, an office from which General Washington ran his farm, and the room, an actual bed where the great man passed away. Yeah, we're in the entrance of the Mount Vernon George Washington Memorial, I guess, and where he lived. And we're early, hardly anybody in here, which is good. Scanning the map now. Let's see here. Yeah. So where are we going to go first? That's the, that's the question. The museum on the grounds was well done and informative. We wondered what Mr. Washington would have thought about the country in its present form and the modern inhabitants who would like to tear down his statues, burn down his mansion, and erase him from history. If you have time, consider a short ride to our fully operational distillery in Grismouth, also open from April to October. George Washington was one of the largest whiskey distillers in the country. And this legacy is carried on by our skilled tradespeople who make it Didn't know that. from his original recipe. Returning to the estate, we offer several museum attractions designed to give you a deeper understanding of Washington's legacy. In the Donald W. Reynolds Museum, you'll find immersive exhibits chronicling the life and impact of George Washington.
Well, the music is playing. That signals the end of this episode, episode 186. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed making it for you. If you like what you heard, you can make a donation using the link in the show notes. Any and all donations will be appreciated. You can always reach me at ofntpodcast at gmail.com if you're so inclined. I'd enjoy hearing from you. Remember, don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. You know, autumn is approaching, so why don't you start preparing for it by first getting off my lawn. Stay skeptical. I'm out. See ya. Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.